0: This week's episode is brought to you by Oils in Harmony Shea Butter Products, an all-natural line of homemade oils with indulgently fabulous fragrances. Get ready for a healthy, youthful radiance in your best skin. Check them out on Etsy at www.oilsinharmony.etsy.com. Hey! Hey! And welcome to The Proof Podcast. I am your hostess, Rachel Cargill. This week, I'm continuing on in my mission to prove the power of the modern woman, and this episode is doing just that. This week, I had a chat with Miss Daphne Valerius. She is the documentarian behind the film, The Souls of Black Girls. Her work explores the question of whether or not women of color may be suffering from a self-image disorder as a result of trying to attain the standards of beauty that are celebrated in media. During this conversation, Daphne shares her incredible journey, both in heart and body, and the ways in which her faith and the encouragement through mentorship pushed her beyond her limits to create this deeply meaningful work. Let's listen in.
1: Thanks so much, Daphne, for um, being a part of the Proof Podcast. I'm so excited. I reached out to you in particular because of your documentary, um, Souls of Black Girls, and there was so much power in the stories that you were able to share, and there was so much goodness in the way people were able to open up about what they're experiencing, and I find a ton of power in being able to share our stories. I think it's a therapy, and it's part of the reason why I started my podcast, so as I always start my podcast, I'd love to hear about your story, how you got started, um, what your path kind of has looked like, and um, how you got to where you are right now.
2: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me, Rachel. It's a pleasure to be a part of what you're doing. And congratulations um, to you in getting yeah. everything going. Um, for me, I started off as a student. Um, I start. I mean, my, you know, you speak about um, creating works that are therapeutic and healing. And for me, I was that girl who didn't feel good about myself, who didn't feel pretty, who did, who just had a lot of, you know, my own self-esteem and self-confidence issues along the way. Yeah. And, you know, for just so many reasons. And then from there, really, I got started off as a student. And it's just so interesting to actually have this conversation with you um, specifically today. So I started off as an undergraduate student, and I was basically, um, you know, just, you know, I had a professor, Dr. Les Edmond, who just passed over this past weekend, who um, wow. just saw something within me as a student in his African-American studies class. And he was a civil rights activist, and he was a, a advisor, senior advisor to Malcolm X. And so he has a lot of wisdom, and he saw something within me before I even saw it within myself. And so he you know, noticed me and then um, basically brought me to the Ronald McNair Scholars Office on campus. The Ronald McNair Scholars Program is a nationally funded program that basically encourages minority students and students from disadvantaged backgrounds to seek a level of higher education at a doctoral level and from there he walked me over to that office and became my mentor ever since and so as a part of that um, program I conducted research and in my research I decided to do something that had to you know you could do research on anything any topic of any kind and for me I just got to a point where it's like you know I didn't feel that great about myself but by that point in college I was also certain about the fact that this can't just be me and so I decided to just explore why we feel the way we feel about ourselves and how media plays a part in that. So my undergraduate research was called Mass Media, Self-Esteem and Self-Confidence, the Effects of Mass Media on Women of Color Forgotten. And this was my McNair research just to fulfill the program. And basically, fast forward, I was then... um, you know, as part of the program, I went directly into a master's journalism program at Emerson College. And when it came down to do my final master's thesis project, I just simply reverted back naturally to my research as an undergraduate student. And basically, the souls of Black Girls is that. It's the master's thesis that I put together um, as as a graduate student based on my undergraduate research as a McNair scholar. And so it's just so amazing to have this conversation with you today considering that, you know, my mentor who saw something within me and without um, him seeing something within me, I don't know that this work would have been done. And he just transitioned and now he's an angel among us. Um, you know, and he transitioned on Saturday morning. So yesterday I got the news. So to be able to share. And offer you that part of the story today is, you know, even healing for me because I got a chance to spend some quality time with him. So I was definitely prepared for his passing, but definitely in my work to, you know, finally pursue my PhD, um, which is what I'm actively working on right now. It's like he's, it's like his passing gives even more meaning to the work that I'm doing and what I will continue to do.
1: That is such an incredible story, and I have chills thinking about how, you know, instances in our life really come full circle and that even Mm -hmm. in your loss of him, it might even be giving you that boost to really push in what you're studying and what you're putting out there. Oh, no, it is. Yeah, and knowing that he, like, he gave you such a blessing to be able to see that in you and that empowerment Mm -hmm. and that now that you're doing that for other people, that is just so incredible. And I'm so honored to be able to share this story, especially in this very um, raw time of him passing, but Mm -hmm. you, like you said, you're going to be and you're putting the work in now to continue to honor him. And I'm so proud of you and I'm so excited for you. Yeah, thank you.
2: Thank you, thank you. So it's very timely for us to have this conversation today.
1: Yes, okay, well, I'm so excited to um, be a part of how this story is unfolding and this is on the, another side of it this seems like it's another chapter for you so um, yes. in the in the vein of celebrating that I'd love to talk kind of about where you're moving forward more so than what you've done before a lot of the things that a lot of the reasons that I have reached out to you is because I've been able to see the work that you've done but hearing this story um, kind of changed my insight right now I really <laughs> love, I really I really want to look forward and know uh, what you're working on and how the work that you've done has made changed you or shifted your perspective, you mentioned that a lot of your um, struggles of self-confidence and self-esteem and how the media was um, kind of changing how or determining how you viewed yourself. Um, how did that work change how you saw yourself, the research that you did, the thesis that you ended up doing, and then moving into the documentary? How did that change how you see yourself and maybe how you interact with women now?
2: Yeah, no, definitely. So basically, like, you know, when I did my research as an undergraduate student, I wasn't doing it for the sake of even healing. I was doing it, you know, just to get it done and finished. You know what I mean? That's kind of like your mental space, you know, as an undergraduate student, just trying to get through college and graduate and get a job, right? And so for me, I just did it. But, you know, in anything that I do, I try to do something with excellence. And so for me, you know, that was you know, kind of my mind frame at that time. And then it wasn't until, you know, I was in the Master's Journalism program and I actually had to do the thesis thesis project, which I opted to do as a project, as a documentary film, that it then began to really sink in. In doing the documentary, in interviewing Regina King and Jada Pinkett Smith, women that I've loved, women that I've, you know, been inspired by along the way, and even seeing how they've crafted their careers to date, you know, for me, these are women that I grew up watching. You know, I grew up watching Regina King as Brenda on 227. I grew up watching Jada Pinkett Smith as Lena on A Different World, right? And these are women who are saying, don't look at us, look within yourself. And I was sitting with that footage, and I was sitting with footage from all the other all the other people who contributed to the documentary. Rapper Chuck D had a wealth of knowledge to just pour into the film. And at the same time, in putting together a documentary, I'm the one who's doing the interviews. I did all the writing, all the shooting, all the editing, all the tapes. I transcribed every single video. So that means that I wrote down verbatim what they were saying word for word in order to put the documentary film together. So after a while, it's almost like a song. You know, you listen to a song, it comes on the radio, you hear it for the first time, you're like, eh, it's all right, oh, I don't like it, da-da-da, or whatever, right? And then a couple of weeks later, or even a couple of days later, you're, like, reciting the song, you know the words, right. and you don't even realize that you're, you know, you've been not only exposed to it, but now your brain has absorbed it, and now you're repeating it over and over and over again. So it's the same thing, right? And that's the same cycle that happened for me. I'm here transcribing these videos. I'm here editing these videos. I know what they're saying word for word. After a while, it's like it really started to resonate. What they were saying started to resonate in my heart and my spirit. And I started to believe it. And it's like, okay, wow, like, you know what I mean? They're saying for me to look within myself. They're saying to love myself. So the entire process of putting together the documentary was absolutely healing and cathartic for me because it's like how many times is Jada Pink going to tell me Look within yourself. It's about you. It's not about these media images. It's not about the images that you see on television. It's not about what you see in the magazines. It's about you. It's about how you feel about yourself. You know what I mean? How many times does Regina King have to say it over and over and over again? So for me, putting together the actual production of the film specifically when it came to editing and putting it all together and transcribing it. I sat with that footage, I did it all myself. And at the same time I was also in an editing suite where there's no windows. So this is all that I'm absorbing for like nine months. So indulgent Yeah, exactly. And so for me That was my healing process, and coming out of that, it was kind of like, okay. And those seeds that they planted, you know, and everything that they had to offer, and obviously the documentary doesn't even show the totality of their words, the totality of their interviews, but every single interview was at least an hour. So I have all this footage of them just empowering me, and now, for example, you see, you know, Regina King on Black Girls Rock, like take that times ten, you know, and that's on my computer screen, and I'm listening to that footage for hours and hours at a time. So for me, the process of editing and producing the film really was the healing. It's like I was thrown into this emotional place of healing, not realizing that that's what was happening. So then by the time the film was done, it's like, okay, well, you're kind of amazing. You just put together this amazing documentary, and you just did all this stuff yeah. that defied comprehension and understanding even of your colleagues, even of the administrators at the school. So that definitely was a confidence booster and it helped me heal and deal with my own insecurities. And then from there, just over a period of time, I want to say it was around like a couple of years ago, like I finally got to a place where I and it was interesting because I was just in a really, you know, really um different space in my life. I was living in L.A. and, you know, and I just had a moment Um, and it was actually like during service. I'm a woman of faith and so I forget what kind of service it was, but it was like really the Holy Spirit really fell upon me and I was delivered completely. From feeling um, any level of low self-esteem and self-confidence, it was kind of it's kind of odd to explain it, but it happened during a church service where I was just really healed of insecurity and self-esteem and self-confidence. And then from there, I finally, you know, really, I just thank God for it. I finally got a chance to see. I had I got a glimpse, and I was able to see what people see within me in a way that I've never seen myself before. And that was a pivotal moment for me because I was able to cuz my thing was makeup and I was able to literally take a picture, a selfie with no makeup on and I saw myself the way people see me. And that was my healing moment. That was my aha epiphany moment and that didn't even happen until like, you know, even years after I did the film, but it just struck a chord with me. There's just so much power because oftentimes people see things within us that we don't see in ourselves because it's so hard yeah. um, to just see that way. But then when you get to a point where you see yourself, the way other people see you, it's like, wow, I'm amazing. You know, that is and so- that's kind of where I arrived, yeah.
1: That is so awesome. And you know what? I, I totally get what you mean. And from that point, I'm interested to know, once you have that realization about yourself, and I've, I've kind of had those moments as well. You know, I live in New York City, and I have these weird experiences where people literally walk up to me, like strangers walk up to me off of the street, mm-hmm. and they come up to me, and they say, I just, want you, I just want to tell you that I felt your energy from across the room, and you mm-hmm. there's something about you, and I don't know what it is, but I just had to mm-hmm. tell you, and I can't wait to see what you do mm-hmm. with it. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, thank you. And I don't know what to say and I don't know what to feel and I don't, right. I, I don't always see that in myself but I do recognize a sense of responsibility in that I have something and the mm-hmm. fact that you were able to see that in yourself I'm interested to know did you take claim of that sense of responsibility and what have you been doing to take that and you know use it as a leadership source because the women are looking to you now with your documentary and the studies that you've done that's representing them that's reflecting them very clearly and I think right. that I'm assuming that some power came to you once um, once you saw yourself in the light that other people were seeing you. So I'm interested to hear what maybe steps you're taking or what you've done mm-hmm. to kind of step into that responsibility and that power to continue to change lives.
2: Well, you know what the thing is the interesting thing is that for me the really the the source of the epiphany and what was the catalyst for it. Like I said, I told you it happened. You know, while I was just you know at church, right. And I think that's really at the core of it. Um, It has everything to do with us recognizing for sure and knowing beyond the shadow of any doubt that we are indeed a reflection and we were created in the image and likeness of God, you know. And for me, it's like I finally had a chance to see that. It's like, wow, like I am a reflection of him. And everything that I do is an extension of him. And that's what people are gravitating towards. You know what I mean? It's not really that you're so beautiful and so great and all these other things, which is awesome, but it's really that you are an extension, a perfect, loving, beautiful extension of who he is in the earth. And then people respond to that and naturally gravitate to that, right? And so for me, now that I understand that fully, I know that it's not me. I know that it's him. And from there, I just move and I flow according to how where he would lead me and how he would guide me and guide my steps. And then I try to do works now that are all about, you know, celebrating and empowering women and girls of color. But at the same time, it's about them acknowledging and seeing the God in them. Because he is the source and the power of that infinite well and that glow. And it's like that's what people see. That's what people, you know, when you are striving to be the very best version of yourself, in essence, you're honoring the gifts and the talents that God has placed within you. So I try to now um, empower women and girls or anyone around me really really, to – Grab to, to, to honor that thing, that innate thing that God placed on the inside of you before the foundation of the earth, before He saw fit to, you know, fashion you together in your mother's womb. You had destiny and you had purpose on the inside of you. It's when you tap into that that everything else flows. From that, You know what I'm saying? And then there's a scripture that says, you know, and seek first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. When you seek first the kingdom of God, you know what I mean, and seek him in everything that you do, and then you seek him in you, those gifts that he planted within you. So before, you know, when you were two or three, you had a dream. When you are a toddler, you, there was something that you would do, you know, that had nothing to do with fear. You were smiling. You were glowing. But then over time, you know, we get placed in school and kindergarten, and then we go to first grade and second grade and then high school and college, and then we, get, we lose that innocence. And so, for me, I just try to empower people to go back to that place. you know, and one of the things that I try to encourage people to do, for example, is to tap in one of the key ways to tap into that thing is um is to think about you know if 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 money were not an issue, if your family was taken care of, if you had nothing that you wanted for, if you knew that your mother was good, your father was good, you know, um, your parents, you know, your, your siblings are good, if everything was laid out for you in your bank account, what would you do? And once you can answer that question... It's about you figuring out a way to do that very thing that you would have done because that's that dream, that's that gift, that there's talent that you were innately born with, you know. And so that's really just try how I try to then um, encourage women and girls, specifically when I speak, that it's really not about all these other things that we get distracted about, but it's really about tapping into the source. that. within you that God placed on the inside of you because that's your gift. And then when you step into your calling and your gift, that's when you can just, you know, because there's a gift that you have and you're supposed to leave your mark, and that's why only you have it. And so how are you going to posture and position yourself accordingly to leave your mark on the earth, if that makes sense?
1: Totally makes sense. And I love how you were able to explain that. The two things that really stood out to me were um, fear and leaving your mark. And I'm interested to know, um, as you're growing into yourself, what are some of the fears that have fallen away? Are there any that have come? And um, what do you hope your mark is?
2: Wow. Okay. So letting go of the fears is a process.
1: (laughs) I know, I know.
2: (laughs) And, um, you know, I know with emotional healing process, and I'm just so thankful for that. And that healing process from fear actually came um about two years ago in 2014 you know so i was living in la kind of doing the production thing and you know doing that and things are great and then the last couple of years were a little challenging so i went back home and home is rhode island from la to just kind of figure things out to regroup and kind of figure out okay what's my next move going to be and at the time i was like okay well you know, I'm going to posture and position myself to go to New York. That's the next market that, you know, for film, television, and what I want to do. And from there, you know, I had a couple of meetings already set up and I was ready to go. And a week before my meeting, I had an earache for three days. And then after that, I finally went to the ER. I took some medication that they gave me, antibiotics, et cetera, and I had a middle ear infection. 48 hours later, after that, my face was completely paralyzed on the right side. And so I looked at myself and I could not recognize myself. My eye, my right eye stayed completely wide open and my mouth was completely disfigured to the side. And For me, I was like, okay, and being someone like now I have a relationship with God, it's like I know that, you know, there's nothing that, you know, God does to punish us or anything like that. It's like, okay, what is the meaning and the purpose in all of this? And what I got from my faith being paralyzed, completely paralyzed. Um, a couple of things. One of the things was, you know, my epiphany in that moment was, well, why are you mad that your eyes don't blink and you can't smile the way you used to? You're not using your gift. And that just goes back to the fact that I went to school for broadcast journalism. I wanted to be on camera. That was my desire. I got braces as an adult for that very purpose. And over a period of time, it's like, you know, being in California, it's like I got comfortable being behind the scenes and being a producer and doing just that and not necessarily giving it my everything to be on camera. And so I just saw my dreams, my hopes, my desires, everything that I want to do kind of flash right before my eyes. And it was a matter of digging a little deeper and figuring out, well, why did you allow yourself to be in L.A. and to be in Hollywood and get so comfortable being behind the camera? Like, what is that about? And I realized that, you know, subconsciously fear can paralyze you from moving forward. And I realized that out of fear, I did not even enter into the arena to compete. I didn't allow myself to do that. I counted myself out. You know, and I was like, oh, I'll just do this production thing. You know what I mean? And I never put myself in an arena to compete um, as a journalist, as a broadcast journalist at all. You know, not to the capacity that is was required of me. So in realizing that and seeing that, then that's when I started to deal with the inner fears. What stopped you? Why did you count yourself out, you know? And I literally came across this video um, during that period of, you know, my face being completely paralyzed, not being able to, you know, not being comfortable going outside and doing anything, allowing people to see me at all, you know? And it was also a protection because I do believe just from a spiritual place, I, didn't, I also didn't want to give airtime to the enemy, right? It's like, I'm not going to allow people to see this and think that this is, this is it for me. You know what I mean? So I took the time to do a lot of inner healing, and I came across a video during that period of time in my life, and it was a video um, called Will's Wisdom. It's on YouTube if you just Google it, and it's an amazing compilation of interviews that Will Smith does, and it's his best interviews just talking about life and what inspires him to keep going and to keep pushing forward. And in that video, I had seen it a million times. But in that video, um, one of the um, interviewers asked him, you know, what is the thing that you fear? And he responds, well, the only thing that I fear is fear itself. And then he says specifically, I decided a long time ago to attack my fears. And then I just paused on that because it resonated with me in that moment. I was like, hold on, wait a minute. I was like, okay, how do you even do that? How do you attack your fears? Like, what class, did, in all the education that I have thus far, what class did I miss in high school or in college where they talk about how to overcome and conquer and attack your fears? So it just stuck with me, and I couldn't get it off of me. And so I let it resonate. And then I just decided to take a piece of paper. And I took a piece of paper, and I just wrote down. What my fears were like in my deep fears, you know, my deep fears, the things that you don't say out loud to anyone, you know, Mm. and I just wrote those things down and I was like, you know, I fear, you know, failing at the thing that I love the most, you know, I fear not being good. I fear, you know, just all those things. I fear not getting married. I fear, you know, being single for the rest of my life or, you know, being broke again or just all these things. And I just sat with them, and I looked at this list, and it was just so overwhelming. And it's like I started to weep. And I was just so sad for that girl who was just so afraid. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like, really? And I just sat there, and I wept for that girl. And then from there, I remembered. And it was really just the Holy Spirit that came upon me because I remember, um, you know, so succinctly looking at the list reading the list, processing the list, and then remembering what God says about fear. And God says clearly that, but God did not give us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And I started to repeat that over and over again, because all these fears are not anything that is natural. It's it's something that's foreign. Fear is an alien to our natural nature and our natural humanness and basically it's an alien. It's like a disease that has come to invade you and really just kind of rip havoc over your mind and over your heart and over your spirit. So fear is not of God. Anywhere – in your life, where there is fear or um, tentacles of fear or byproducts of fear, like anxiety or worry, all of that has to do with fear. And fear is not of God. And when you recognize that, then you're like, okay, but God did not give me this. This is not a promise of God. Fear to be afraid is not a promise of God. So why am I walking around with something that is not of God in my heart? And then I just kind of wrote that on the bottom. I read it over and over and over again, and then I took those same fears and I flipped it on a different piece of paper. And I put, um, I took those same fears in this after reciting to myself and saying to myself over and over again that God did not give Daphne the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Then I wrote those same fears out as affirmatives. I will get married. And not be single for the rest of my life. I will be successful in what I do. And all those fears. And then I just started to repeat those affirmatives over and over and over and over again. And I repeated them until they dropped in my spirit. And I believed it. Even if it wasn't happening in that moment. But I just kept on repeating it to myself. And, you know, and death and life are in the power of your own tongue. And you have to encourage yourself. So I took that moment and that opportunity to really kind of deal away with that. And that was how I was able to come out of that place of fear and walk in it. And then, so then now when fear kind of rises up, you can feel it. You know what that feeling is. You know what I mean? And it's like, okay, I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to be afraid. This is not of God. You know, I'm not going to be afraid. God is not a God of confusion. I'm going to walk in here. And even if I'm a little bit scared, then that's when I just draw on the blood. I'm just like, okay, God, I am afraid, but I know that you have me. I know that no evil thing will you allow to come near my dwelling place. I know that you will allow the angels, you know, to go forth ahead of me. And then I just start to declare what he says. And, you know, and then you draw on his power and you draw on who he is as a human as as omniscient as omnipresent and then all of a sudden that fear just goes away cuz it must bow down and we as human beings we are the ones have to take control over our thoughts you know what i mean and you know we have to cast down you know those false imaginations you know and we have to do the work within ourselves you know so i could pick up the phone and call my friends all day long and talk about it or i can just get in the word and begin to stand on his promises and what he says and what the word says and what God says supersedes anything that my friend will say or anything that my mom will say or anything that anyone will say. And then from there you just kinda, you know, get rooted and planted in who God is and what he says about everything. And then that kinda like breaks away all the fear. And then that's like after that it's like, okay devil, you can't try me today. Not today. You know what I mean? <laughs> so yeah, I- <laughs>
1: I totally know what you yeah. mean, and a lot of a lot of what you're saying moves into a lot of the reasons why I started this podcast, and that's proving the power yeah. of the modern woman and showing mm-hmm. that we are able to glean from ourselves and what's in us, whether it's our faith and there's. Mm-hmm. I know that a lot of women who listen to this podcast aren't necessarily Christians or of faith, but there's the yeah. understanding of the difference between fear and believe My personal belief is that the opposite of fear is love, and so I yes. know that a. lot. People are able to pull from that in in regaining their power and making those moves and making those decisions. So in that sentence that um, love is the opposite of fear, I'm interested to know what are the ways you recognize and know that you're loving harder due to the fact that you've been able to let go of some of those fears.
2: Um. Yeah. I think that for me now, loving harder and loving more, um, it also comes with being discerning and. Yeah. And also being mindful and being careful and then at the leading of the Holy Spirit, you know, within me, specifically because a lot of times, too, you know, people can pull so much out of you, you know what I mean? Yeah. And just, you, you can just be pouring in a way that it's like, okay, this has taken up a lot of, us consuming me so much, you know, mm-hmm. but Operating from a place of love is something that I just try to do a lot more with just the people who are around me. Because oftentimes we can take, you know, people around us for granted, like our friends or our family or my niece. You know, and I try to just do that and be more in the moment because for me personally, I have workaholic tendencies. And so I can just be so focused on what I'm doing and I lose sight of what's going on around me. I lose sight of birthdays and I lose sight of, you know, the little things. You know what I'm saying? So for me, the way in which I personally try to do that in my own daily life is I try to conserve now my energy in a way that I could just be a well of love for my family and those who are around me, you know what I mean? And then from there, you know, outside of that, I'm just a lot more discerning because there are times where people will come into your life and it's like you don't know where they're coming from, if they come from a place of good or bad. So it's just a matter of just being discerning. And then from there, once you can discern, okay, this person is someone that, you know, should be in my life or maybe it's, I'm just supposed to be in that person's life in that moment and that's it. Let me see where is it that that person is hurting that I can offer yeah. them some love. Where is that person hurting? Where is that person seeking guidance? Where is that person confused? If I can pinpoint where that is and then just begin to offer some words of encouragement, some words of love and that person no longer leaves my presence the same and then then I've done my, my job. But I don't you know, I don't live in this world where I feel like, okay, I have to save the world, but I can certainly do my part. And it's in the works that I do, within the, you know, products that I put out there, right? Because then my products speak so much more and they can touch the lives of people that I'll never meet again. There's people who have come across my work. I I won't ever meet them in real life, right? There are people who purchase from my business and I'll never meet them in real life. But as long as I ensure for me that in my products and what I offer, I want them to experience the truest form of love. So I have an apparel company called I Am Her Apparel, which is inspired by the works that I do. And so with every garment, with every shirt that anyone, um, you know, purchases, I want them to feel and experience like they're getting a gift. You know what I mean? And if that's what I can do, then I can do it, you know. Or if I'm talking to someone and I know that they're really down and they're not in a, in a great place, I try to discern where they are. And it's like I try to just offer them as much of love and encouragement and support that I possibly can without feeling this burden of like, okay, I got to save the world because I can't do that. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. So it's just about balance. I, I agree and it's so interesting hearing you say that all it kind of brought this conversation full circle because we mm-hmm. started talking about you know where you were kind of weak and shaky in your experience you started doing your research you began to get this healing from telling a story and from recognizing your own story and then once you were mm-hmm. able to shake those fears and fill yourself up with love you were able to give it in the ways through your business through your family yes. being discerning and being aware so I love that we were kind yes. of able to bring that all together in um, yes. this interview and I'm so excited for all of the words you've said and how they'll kind of penetrate into the minds and hearts of the people who are listening. Um, My next Mm -hmm. and last question before we kind of go Mm -hmm. into um, me asking where your next plans are, I'm interested to know, we talked about your professor who saw a lot in you and in his recent Mm -hmm. passing, and um, I just wanted to talk out with you, and I don't know if you thought about this or maybe you've had this conversation Mm -hmm. with him um, before he passed, but I'm interested to know, what are your plans to honor him moving forward, or how do you see yourself doing that in the way that he poured into you, and what ways do you see him, you know, continuously being a light for you? I'm interested to know.
2: Yes, absolutely. And so, um, you know, I love my mentor dearly, Dr. Les Edmond, and, um, you know, for me, I grew up, I'm a first-generation um, everything in here in the United States. I'm a product of immigrants who came from the island of Haiti to the United States. And so for me, as as one of the things um, that kind of came out of that is the fact that, you know, being born here, the blessing and the gift that it was to be born here in the United States was, um, you know, also came with some disadvantages because, you know, I didn't grow up having a relationship with my maternal or paternal grandparents because they were over there, you know, while I was here, and so, and then by the time my grandmother did finally get here when I was two, then she passed, Um, and so I that to say that I grew up not having that relationship with an elder, and so, but yet, in. So, you know, I thank God that he placed Doctor Edmund in my in my life because he was that for me. And he was that for me, um, not only as a student, um, but beyond, outside of the classroom. Um, he saw something within me that, you know, your grandmother would see within you, you know what I mean? Or a grandparent. And I didn't recognize that um until later on in life. And so, um, the way in which I plan to honor him, um, it's funny because it's like God has been preparing me for his passing um, over the last couple of months, and I'm just so thankful for it. I'm thankful for the time that we were able to share, and I'm thankful that he was up to date with everything going on in my life up until he passed, and um, just up to date with everything that I've accomplished, um, and he's always been there, and um, you know, but one of the things that occurred very early on, which was the real focus and point of him even seeing something within me, is that he took me to the office of Beverly Fields, who was the director of the Ronald McNair Scholars Program. And the Ronald McNair Scholars Program is a program that encourages, like I said earlier, minority students um, and those who come from disadvantaged backgrounds to pursue a level of higher education at the doctoral level. And so I, When I was introduced to the program and successfully completed the program, I said to myself, I was like, well, at the time I had gone from high school to college and then from college to grad school, and I just needed a break (laughs) from all the school, and I had always said that I was going to go back and complete my doctorate. And so basically that's the process that I'm in right now. And it's interesting because in the process of me even deciding to pursue my doctorate, it's like the doors have opened up to me completely. And it's been in the process of me deciding finally to pursue my doctorate. It's something that I was able to share with him in the hospital room. And he was so happy to hear that I was going to be doing it finally after, you know, so many years. Of graduating, and so now I'm posturing and positioning myself accordingly. So by the fall, by this time next year, I'll be in a doctoral program and studying the same thing, um, journalism, but as a a doctoral student. And you know, just utilizing that for me and just pressing in a little deeper into the what I've already done and what I've already accomplished. Um, So that's definitely the way in which I intend to honor him, and it just gives his passing gives more meaning. To me, pursuing my doctorate. And so, as much as I, you know, dread the idea of taking the GRE exams and, you know, um, and I have to put together a statement of con- a purpose and do all those things that are required of me that I had to do to get into college. Right? I know that, you know, the late nights and the early mornings are all going to be in honor of him. You know what I mean? And when I get into a doctoral program, it's going to be in honor of him. And when I complete it, it's going to be in honor of him. And so, you know, this past week I actually had a chance to actually visit a college, um, an institution, and, and that's the one that I'm going to go to. It's the only one that I'm applying to. And it's like it's so fitting that he passed this week because it's like I feel like it's just confirming that I'm right on track, you know what I mean, and um, and that he's ever with me. And so he's placed so much within me. Um, as a student, I'm one of the privileged ones who had the chance to have his mentorship. Um, so that's how I plan to honor his legacy. I am his legacy, and um, I plan to honor his legacy by completing that, which he always wanted me to do, which is doing that. And then, you know, and then I'm also working on the sequel to my film, um, that will happen before I go into doctoral school. And, you know, doing, this, doing the sequel to the film is also honoring him. You know, the film is now available and being distributed by the Media Education Foundation, which is an organization that will distribute the original film to colleges and universities around the country. And even sharing that with him, he was just thrilled to hear. And he's like, well, I'm just, you know, I'm not surprised you know, I, I'm just, I just want to know why it took so long. And so he's always been up to date with everything that I was doing. And he was aware that I was going to be working on the sequel, super supportive of that um as well. So everything that I do, um, and everything that my hands undertake, it's honoring him who saw so much within me. And so, um, you know, my film, the sequel of the documentary will be in honor and in memory of him. And then, you know, he will be the wind beneath my wings as I um, enter into doctorate school. So that's I intend to honor his legacy.
1: Stephanie, I am so excited for you, and I'm so grateful that I got to kind of be here in this moment of you Mm -hmm. having um, this recognition of um, seeing your mentor pass on and you be able to kind of take place and get your footing and how you're going to be honoring him. I'm I'm so grateful that I was able to have you on to hear your story and hear your insight. And thank you so much for being a part of the Proof Podcast.
2: Oh, my gosh. Well, thank you. This was, this was absolutely even healing for me, you know. Um, I was able to <laughs> rejoice this that morning because, me- yeah, because last night was a little somber, you know, even though I had been prepared for him to pass and everything. Yeah. It's been somber for all of us. And so yeah. to wake up this morning and to have this conversation with you has been awesome. So thank you, and thank you for providing me with the platform to share my story um, in every way.
0: So, what did you think? What have you done lately that you're really proud of? Where have you allowed yourself to heal only to use that strength to encourage others? Do you take responsibility for your magic? Daphne is proof that when we open ourselves to explore our pain points, we can oftentimes rise to do great things. She also gave us, among other things, a beautiful story of mentorship and the importance of seeing our power reflected back to us through those we respect. Thanks for listening in and being part of this magic. See you next week when I'll be pulling out more proof of what's possible for women like you.